Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless our consideration this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, again grateful for the word that you give to your people. I'm grateful, Lord, for this segment of your body, Lord, that has gathered here together, Father, to consider your word, to be fed and grown and to find fellowship together again with one another. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be strong in you, in the power of your might, Father, as we endeavor to do these things that you call us to, as we engage in the warfare, Lord, that you've enlisted us to, Father, and as we take the victory that Jesus has won for us, help us, Lord, to be brave, to be courageous, trusting in you for that encouragement. Bless us now. Help us to have joy in it this morning. Joy with one another. Joy with you in your word. I praise you this morning, and I'm grateful for your presence here today. I ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are celebrating. Well, We've already sung two Christmas carols this morning, so it is that time of year, right? Uh, and let me just make plain, I love Christmas music. I do. I love the carols, and we might call them simply carols, but they are hymns. Do not misjudge these Christmas carols as being not presenting the Word of God. You can learn a lot simply from that last one that we sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It, it always touches my heart, the measure of depth that's there in the Word of God. But I don't want to digress. Here we are in this time where we begin to kind of celebrate with the world to a certain extent, uh, specifically the birth of Jesus, right? And here I am reading, opening up with a verse from the death of Jesus. You know, it is what it is. The Word of God is the Word of God, and that, that God of ours, the Son of God, came so that He might die. It was just understood. It was His preparation. It was His plan. And so we look at it at all times. Uh, any number of different things we might learn at Christmas time as we consider the death of Jesus. But the death of Jesus isn't the focal point of our consideration this morning. This morning we're going to explore the courage of this man, Joseph of Arimathea. Now it's a, mouth, a mouthful. Joseph of Arimathea. Large name, long name, not a lot of record in Scripture, but what we do know of him is something good and something to consider. Uh, he was a man who took some time in coming around to public faith, public proclamation of faith. But when he did make it public, I think he made it public in a rather evident and plain way. And he did ultimately come around. And so we're going to consider the courage that it took for this man of Joseph of Arimathea. We'll eventually get to him. We'll talk about a number of other people, as we typically do this morning, look at some comparisons in Scripture and see how it relates to us. The courage of this man we know so very little about and how we might apply it to our own lives and find eternal blessing out of the courage that we can experience for ourselves. Now, that being said, I wouldn't say that this lesson is just a courage lesson. I've preached about courage and just the courage we need in the Lord. I think there are specific applications. I'm thinking to myself that there's one theme of courage in this respective application. But I'm confident that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will speak to you the courage that you might need or the courage that you've been uh, laid hold of for yourself. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, that being said, though, it's good to understand what we're talking about, even if it's not necessarily the focal point. Courage, as, a, as the Merriam-Webster Dictionary calls it. Mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, 
and or withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Uh, you know what courage is. You've seen The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> you know, courage, you know, the cowardly lion, I can't do it. Uh, I've got a frog in my throat this morning. So, But you, you know who I'm talking about. It's the cowardly lion who just wished that he had courage. It doesn't mean that you're not afraid. It doesn't mean that you're not in danger. It doesn't mean that you dismiss the danger as though it's nothing, that you don't recognize danger. It means that you're fully aware, fully aware of the cost, the potential cost that might be there in taking an action this way or that way, or, or simply holding a mindset, or whatever the case may be. Courage is not just blind ignorance or foolhardiness or whatever. It is recognizing I'm in danger here, and the potential cost is actual. Something could happen here that could impact me uh, in a bad way. And yet, I am going to venture, I am going to at least attempt to persevere, and I am going to withstand those things. Courage is doing what's needed, doing what's right, despite the risk that is present there. So, that being said, we understand that you can see throughout Scripture, well, that courage is something that's not only demonstrated, it's something that God Well, he requires it of us, he asks it of us, and he goes so far as to provide it for us as well. Uh, You can't mention courage, and I said it wasn't strictly a courage lesson, but we're going to talk at length about courage. Uh, You can't speak about courage without talking about Joshua, can you? Uh, You might wonder, well, why can't we talk about David, or why wouldn't we talk about someone else? Why Joshua? Well, let me tell you, Uh, courage, I mean, this man was told from beginning to the end about his need for courage. He was to- other people, those ones that he was given to lead, were told to encourage or to provide courage to this one. Uh, it's woven into his entire story, and not just, not just something that's understood as you look at David as he dealt with Goliath, as you look at Samson as he dealt with the Philistines, as you looked at these different ones. This one here, courage is woven into it. The need for courage and the need for others to encourage him. We'll talk about that more here in just a moment. But if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 38, well, this is, this is Moses speaking of God's intent for Israel to move into Canaan. And, well, Joshua is as he's with them. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. He's going to go into Canaan, not me. The Lord is, has withheld that privilege to me. He's withheld that opportunity to me because of his own issues that he had with the Lord. Uh, I won't go into that. He says, Joshua is going to take you in. So what did he call them to do? He said, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Now reach back to the back of of Deuteronomy there. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, when Moses is speaking regarding his own death and preparing himself, you might say, for the death to come. It says, then Moses called in Deuteronomy 31.7, Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage. Why? Well, because you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. He's like, listen, there is going to be risk to you, not just physical risk. The Canaanites are going to battle against you. You can absolutely, absolutely, you're going to have to swing a sword. You're going to have to battle against these ones who don't want you in their land. God has set it aside and has appointed it to you, has given those ones their opportunity to deal with him themselves. Now, that's another sermon. But Joshua, you are going to go and you're going to meet opposition from those ones who don't want you there. 
Now, how many of you think that that was the only difficulty he was going to have? That, that's the only courage that he needed was courage to go in and slay. <laughs> go in and kill and not be killed. Well, I think not. Do you know why? Because he had to deal with his own people, too. How many, how many people think that it doesn't take courage to deal with people? Well, I don't see any hands raised up. It takes courage, man. It takes courage to stand before people. And, you know, I've never, well, led the thousands and thousands and thousands that Joshua was called to lead. But I do understand what it is to stand before a certain number of people with expectations, a certain number of people with a responsibility, a certain number of people who, who, well, depend on you to a certain extent as the Lord leads. You need courage for such things. You know what it is to go into work. You need courage to go to work some days, don't you? I call this oftentimes liquid courage. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it is what it is. Other people maybe perhaps describe stronger drinks than my coffee here as liquid courage, and I understand what, what they're saying. There's a certain measure of just man. This, there is a measure of risk for me going to work today. I risk punching somebody out, or I, I, I risk... You know, running into any kind of calamity or trouble. I risk just heavy work. I risk... uh, Risks can be this big or they can be this big. Or they can be more than we can understand. Every day presents its measure of risk. And for you just to face the day on a natural level requires a certain measure of courage. Just in dealing, man. Just in dealing with life. Uh, You bring in the spiritual things. Being a child of God. Man, it's not for the faint of heart to be a child of God, you understand. It's not for the faint of heart when you have an enemy that is real, that you can't see as clearly as I see Emma sitting there. I can't see my enemy, but he's present and he's real. And sometimes I can see my greatest enemy, and that's this guy I see in the mirror, right? The flesh that I carry with me every single day would be my enemy. And sometimes it takes courage to stare yourself in the face and say, you're a dirtbag, and you're trying to stand in my way between my relationship and my Heavenly Father, and to tell yourself, no, I'm digressing from my notes incredibly. But that being what it, what it is, it takes courage to get up and live your life, child of God. And it's understood. Joshua was told, be strong and of good courage for this huge, huge task that you have, but also just for life. Now, what did Joshua do? We can flip over to his book, move forward just a little bit into Joshua chapter 1. This was God's own word to Joshua. Not just enough for Moses to speak to him. God spoke to him himself. After Moses had died in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 6, the Lord said to Joshua, Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide, uh, you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. In Joshua 1, verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Do you see a theme here that the Lord has with Joshua? That you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. It takes courage to stay the path. Again, sounds exceptionally poetic, motivational poster-ish and that sort of thing. It takes courage to stay the path that the Lord has for you. Joshua 1.9, skip a verse and go to verse 9. Didn't take long before he resumed that theme. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Did Joshua get it? 
this message that the Lord had for him. I think that he did, because we know that he was courageous as he carried out the task that the Lord had for him. And in the end, he paid the message forward when he told the people of Israel at the end of his life. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. And he goes on to say some other things. Joshua was a poster child for courage. Now, let me ask you this, and I won't spend a whole lot of time on this. Why did the Lord, why did the Lord weave courage into the, the life of Joshua? Weave into his life, not just being courageous, but his telling him. Telling others to encourage Joshua to do so. Why do you think he did that? Well, we can look at this account of Joshua and see how he dealt with some things. And again, he dealt with some things with the sword. He made some profound decisions that affected the lives, literally, of other people. He occupied a whole nation with a whole nation, helped to split them out. Did a number of different things. Bravery and courage was not something that he was lacking. After the Lord encouraged him. After the Lord gave him courage. Why do I think that Joshua was told to be courageous? I think, well, let me say it this way. I wonder if Joshua in and of himself wasn't a very courageous man. Now, why do I say that? Moses was so meek that the Lord said, you need to lead these people up and out of Egypt. You need to speak to this Pharaoh. You meek, uh, mild-mannered, stammering tongue man, you need to go and you, you need to lead. He wanted a seed from whom Jesus would come. He wanted a baby born so that he could create a nation. So, of course, he picked Sarah, a 90-year-old woman. He needed her to do it at 90 years old. Didn't take some, some young, virile woman capable in her own body. No, he made something that wasn't capable do what he wanted to do. I'm inclined to believe, as I see similar patterns in Scripture, I'm not going to say that Joshua was a pansy, do not get me wrong. But I am going to say that I believe Joshua needed to be encouraged. He needed courage and needed to be reminded to. Perhaps he was one who, like I am wants to do, gets up and gets touched in things and presents as not someone very stout or strong-hearted, perhaps. And the Lord tells him, you need to buck up, man, and you need to lead. And he did. We read about it. Uh, continually the Lord was telling him to take courage. Uh, he wasn't a pansy, no, I don't believe. But I believe that perhaps courage didn't come naturally to him, so he said, Lord, I need it. <laughs> Encourage me. And other ones did. And there it was. He was encouraged. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And if you need courage, he'll give it to you. Don't get me wrong. He'll, he'll give everything else, naturally speaking. He can do whatever he chooses. But if you're lacking something emotionally up here, if you're lacking something of substance in here, you simply ask the Lord, and if you need it, he's going to give it to you. And that includes courage. There are others in Scripture. Uh, Joshua wasn't alone, we know. Uh, that The Lord provided courage, and they were called to be courageous in their respective situations. Again, perhaps not swinging swords. I'm not going to spend a lot of time because I have a lot of notes and I don't want to take you late this morning. Honestly, I never intend to. I never intend to. And I never want to. And I always feel a little bit bad when I do take you late. So I'm going to do my best not to this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 19, though. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And he appointed some judges and elders. And he encouraged these ones. 
uh, he appointed judges both in civil in the in the civil capacity and in the spiritual capacity as well. Second Chronicles nineteen six says that he said to the judges, "Take heed to what you are doing, uh, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord." who is with you in the judgment. You need to be courageous because you're undertaking something substantial here. You know, I don't think, well, I think a lot of times government, uh, governmental powers and the like, they don't recognize what, well, what impact they have. Or maybe they do recognize what impact they have and they just don't recognize the help they need in steering that impact. Uh, We're called to pray for those who are in authority over us and certainly if you are not doing it, do it because he calls us to it for a reason. These ones, you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. And well, he has something to say there. And when he gives you that opportunity to judge with you, you'd better do it correctly. So it takes a measure of courage to have that burden upon you. He goes on down in verse 8 of Second Chronicles chapter 19. He goes on to talk to these ones where, well, it says that, well, moreover in Jerusalem for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests. And some of the chief fathers of Israel when they returned to Jerusalem. And he commanded them this way. He said, Thus you shall act in fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. Whatever case comes to you from your brethren who dwell in their cities. Whether of bloodshed or offenses against law or commandment. Against statutes or ordinances. He put them in a place to what? You shall warn them. You're going to tell them, beware. Scott. Scott talked about Jonah this morning as we've been considering for two months. Has it been that long? Two months we've been considering Jonah and that appointment that the Lord told him. You go in there and you warn these people. Do you know who they are, Lord? You go in and you warn these people. I'm going to go that way. And so he went that, that direction. He didn't want to warn them. Jonah had his own measure of judgment. It takes courage to judge how the Lord has us to judge sometimes. The spiritual judges all things. That's what we're called to do. Not to be judgmental. Don't, don't misunderstand me. He doesn't call us to be judgmental as we are so often accused of being. Because God's people can be judgmental, let's be honest. He didn't, doesn't call us to be judgmental. He causes us, calls us to judge. Look at this and see. What does this look like in the light of Jesus? How does this look? Is, is this a benefit to me? Is this a benefit to anybody else? What does God want me to do with this? Does He want me to take it into my life and, and apply it to my life and grow in my life? And, or does He want me to get rid of it and not have anything to do with it? Or somewhere in between? He calls us to judge. You judge what you eat every morning, every afternoon, every evening. You should. You should determine what's good for you, what's right, what isn't good for you. We judge all kinds of things. Certainly we're called to judge what's spiritual. Sometimes he calls us to judge on a larger level, as these ones were. You shall warn them, lest they trespass against the Lord, and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this, do this difficult thing, and you will not be guilty. Would that be a little bit nerve-wracking to consider having that, well, that responsibility? Well, the Lord said, behave courageously, and the Lord will be with the good. Behave courageously. Take courage. I'm with you. Take courage and all will be well. Courage is something that is, well, sorely lacking, I think, in the governmental system, honestly. Uh, Courage in following after the things of God, but I'll leave that for another time. There's another one who demonstrated courage in being transparent, in being this is who I am. Again, it took a little bit of time, perhaps, but you know who Esther was. If you don't, 
enjoy a little bit of the story with us this morning. Esther chapter 4 and verse 10. She was a Jewish woman, beautiful woman, named Hadassah. The Persian king that she lived under uh, took a liking to her and she became, well, his wife, a queen. And in the meantime, well, again, I mentioned she was Jewish. One of the king's advisors didn't care for the Jews. And without getting into that, he set into process, into motion, a process to eliminate genocide, as these Jewish people are so familiar with throughout history, attempts at their eradication. Uh, and so she was in danger, this woman Esther, in danger because of who she was, what blood she had running through her veins, also in danger because she was in a position to intervene on their behalf. And if the king did not accept that, and if the king wasn't interested, well, then he could very easily put her to death, which was his prerogative. And so she was in danger from the outset there in Esther chapter 4 and verse 10, even approaching the king, even approaching the king. Uh, if he didn't call her, was a danger, a peril to her. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him command for Mordecai. Mordecai had told her, this is what's going on. We need you. You are in a position to help us take that opportunity. Esther reminds him, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king, who has not been called, he has but one law. Not many options here, just one, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Okay, well, he's your husband. You Surely you can talk to him. Well, yet I myself have not been called to go in to the king these 30 days. It's been a month. That might sound like glorious to some of us, uh, if we don't get along with our spouses. But I doubt it. I doubt that that's the situation. But this was different, man. This culture, that society, uh, that household, that palace, that rule. It was different. She had not been called for 30 days. So she was in danger, not just of losing her people, but on a very, very real, very front and center in this situation. She's situational awareness, right? Firefighters talk about it. Soldiers talk about situational awareness. Recognizing what's going to kill me right now and what's going to kill me later on if I don't address it. Uh, she recognizes he's going to kill me right now if he doesn't want to hear it. And I won't even be able to talk to him about my people. Are you kidding me? But she was in a position. And we understand that she did approach the king. Uh, first, she told, her, uh, she told her kinsman, Mordecai. Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. We talked about fasting this morning. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. Consider on my behalf. Take this need to the Lord. My maids and I will fast likewise. I need the strength for this. I need encouragement for this. I need the Lord to hold me up. But she was intent. So I will go to the king, which is against the law. And I don't think this is melodrama. If I perish, I perish. Man, that's, uh, that's courage, child of God. That's courage. She prayed for three days and the Lord helped her, strengthened her. And she did go in. And if you don't know the story, she lived. He held out the scepter when she approached him. And so then, she ends up identifying herself among, uh, as being a Jew. 
She identifies herself and and puts forward there after this plan. That didn't get addressed in that moment he held out the scepter. The plan wasn't addressed. She put her own plan into process. And ultimately, after that plan was set and she was presented before the king, she revealed herself for who she was. In verse uh, 3 of Esther chapter 7, Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight and speaking to the king, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. She took courage there. Now again, she put some things in the process. Read it for yourself. It's an easy read, the book of Esther. If you don't know how it all went down, Esther's hard to teach without telling a whole lot of details. But understand, she put herself in great jeopardy because the king had signed it. All the Jews were going to be eliminated. And there was a man in a very high place that was going to take care of all of that with more, more than enough prejudice and dedication and determination to that cause. And Esther stepped before the king and said, I and my people are persecuted. I and my people have been sold. You and your people? (laughs) I'm your people, aren't I? No, it was the Jews. She took ownership of who she was. You think that took courage? Does it take courage to own who you are in certain things saints it was my intent when i went to colorado i've told this before to make good on the errors that i had in lee summit everyone lee summit lee summit fire knew that i was a christian but it wasn't because i told them and it's not necessarily everything that you're intended to do is just go tell them hi greg rabbit christian child of god hi greg rabbit believer you know that's if that's how the lord leads you i mean by all means do it but It wasn't my endeavor. It wasn't my purpose to make myself identified as a Christian and everything else second. It wasn't my my purpose. Everything would come in time. It takes a measure of courage. Uh, No pity on my part. 20 years old, man. (laughs) 20 years old when you're surrounded by a bunch of dudes. It takes courage. And courage was something that I was lacking in the moment. So the Lord put on my heart. You take courage. Don't make that mistake again. I didn't. I went and I pretty much said, Hi, Greg Rabbit, believer. (laughs) And yeah, I was a fireman also for these these other years and all these other things. But make no mistake, this is who I am. Uh, You know, because God's people have taken some heat, haven't we? By and large, the heat that we take in this country for being who we are. It's mostly just insulting at times, belittling at times, right? You have not yet suffered the bloodshed, we read in Scripture. You've not, I've never shed blood because of my status as a believer. Are you kidding me? I've been insulted, yes. Been called an idiot, sure. Made to feel excluded, sure. Who cares, man? Who cares when you get right down to it? Man, when you're 14, 15, 16 years old or, or younger than that and you're in high school and it feels like you're never leaving this place and this whole surrounding place of, of all the cool kids and I'm anything but, man, it just feels like I've got to keep myself and just, just got to survive, man. Just, I, I can't tell people I go to church four times a week. Are you crazy? <laughs> you know? I can't tell people that I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I can't tell people this. I can't tell people... You don't grow out of that, honestly. Not naturally speaking. You don't grow out of that. You grow out of it spiritually speaking, certainly, if you allow yourself to grow in the Lord. There's courage that's required in being transparent. It doesn't matter if it's in civil government. It doesn't matter if it's in spiritual circumstances. To be transparent and to bear yourself out, this is who I am, 
love it or leave it. Well, we oftentimes choose to not take that risk because the risk is big. Courage and transparency and honesty in who we are. Well, that's what Esther presented here. And I admire her for that. Again, maybe it took a little bit of time to get there. But by golly, she prayed. She fasted. She sought the Lord. She was encouraged. And she asked the Lord for courage. He gave it and she said, I'm doing this. I'm going to be courageous. And she saved a nation uh, through what she did. Many others. Many others. I, I could sing the praises of a number of different people for their courage in Scripture. Lots of examples in battle. Certainly, those are fun to talk about. Lots of examples of different ones who are courageous simply by speaking the word of God. Am I going to listen to men or am I going to listen to God? Man, that's courageous when you're standing before those people who have the right and authority, naturally speaking, to strike you down. And to say, I'm not listening to you. That's courageous when when you look at it to a certain extent. These ones who bore out their testimonies, these ones who, well, at great peril to themselves, were very transparent in who they were and what they believed, what they wanted to do. They took ownership in the Lord. Uh, You understand that this is a genuine, well, it's it's a character trait of genuine faith, is courage in the Lord. You want to demonstrate your genuine faith? Then you'll have the courage to be who you are, regardless of the circumstances that are around. The Lord blesses us for it. I'm not going to go there for time's sake. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, when they were preparing themselves to go into that land. And well, they were lined up all of the soldiers. And they looked at these soldiers and they said, Okay, uh, first off, I want you to know, don't be afraid when we go in. <laughs> when you go to battle against your enemies, this is in Deuteronomy 20 and verse 1, if you want to write that down, look at it later on. Uh, when you go out to battle against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, when things get real strong and they're pushing back on you and it's go time, You be courageous. Don't be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you. Well, that sounds great on a poster on my wall, but am I going to apply that? He expects us to, and it is a demonstration of genuine faith. He goes on in verses 5 through 7 in this this Deuteronomy chapter 20. The officers go on and speak to these ones and said, but if, let me just put this out here. Has anyone here built a house and you have yet to move in? Step on, go on. Anyone betrothed? Is anyone engaged here? You got a woman waiting for you back at home? But you can leave. Go ahead. Go ahead and leave. He said, anyone playing a vineyard? You, have, you got to have an investment that you have, you know, you've got to see to and tend to. You can leave. Now, that sounds really nice, doesn't it? You told me to go. I'm going to go. Did he tell them to go? Did he tell them to go? What does he accompany uh, those things with? In Deuteronomy 20 and verse 8, it says, The officers shall further speak to the people after he spoke to those ones about leaving for this reason and that. What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house. How come? Lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. I don't want to be too wrong, too, too judgmental here. But they said, if you're going to be characterized by fear... If you're going to be characterized by distraction, by something else. If you're going to hold something else as pulling you away <clears throat> from the purpose that is a blessing to you and everybody else, then you're better off not being here. I believe with all my heart that these ones were given the prerogative. Stick around if you don't want to go tend to your vineyard. Want to write it off? Stick around. Will the woman be waiting for you? You would hope so. <laughs> Will she be waiting? Will the house be waiting? Whatever the situation might be. 
What did Jesus say about those ones who love father and mother and brother and sister more than me? They're not worthy of me. It's not because he's saying, you need to just cut everything loose because I'm number one. He says, if you make me number one, I'll bless all of these things for you. (laughs) Your father and your mother, I hate to call them out, but Scott's folks, are they blessed? Because he chose the Lord? Yeah, yeah, he, he spoke to them. He bore out testimony to them. You other ones who have family members who have been, well, who have believed because you took a position of faithfulness and were courageous. Yeah, you know, the Lord does that. <clears throat> he gives us the opportunity to choose. Yeah, we could go and take care of some other things. But he says if you're faint-hearted, if you're fearful, go ahead and return to your house, lest the heart of your brethren be the same. I said I wasn't going to stick around here, but I felt like maybe I'd just leave this little comment here. Look what happens after those ones have an opportunity to leave. What does he do with who remains? And so it shall be when the officers have finished speaking to the people, and those ones have left off, they'll make captains of the armies of the ones that remain. That's ranks. Wednesday night Bible studiers. We've been talking about those ones who overcome. Those ones who put the Lord first. From them, the rank is pulled out. From them, the promotions are made. Because they put aside the fear and they took courage. God recognizes that willingness. God recognizes those ones who put him as the umbrella, as the protector, and as the priority over all things. And he will enable and he will bless. So, all of these different examples here that we look at. What does it have to do with Joseph of Arimathea? What does this have to do with this man that we read about, that we opened up with? What did he do? Uh, This man, Joseph of Arimathea. Back in Mark chapter 15 and verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He asked for Jesus' corpse. He was given the body. We understand he took it, he wrapped it, he buried it in his own new tomb that he had set aside. Saints, was that a courageous act that he did? Let's look at it for what it is. First off, it says he was a prominent council member. Almost assuredly, he was a member of that Jewish council we understand to be the Sanhedrin. Religious leaders, Caiaphas was involved there, Annas was involved there. All these different ones who put Jesus to death were members of this council. And so he was as well. Uh, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph. We see in Luke 23, that that account of Joseph of Arimathea. Luke 23, verse 50. Behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member. A good man, it says. Who was, let's see, Luke 23, 50. Do I have that one out? There it is. A council member, a good and just man. It says that he had not consented to their decision and deed. Okay, that means that he had, well, in not consenting, He had powerful enemies, didn't he? He had powerful opposition. He had powerful ones that he held contention with. He disagreed with ones. Listen, saints, there are different ones that if you simply disagree with them, they have a natural power in and of themselves to make your life miserable. You disagree with your boss, you might not want to express it just very clearly. Very, you don't, might not want to just enunciate it to their face. You stink. You're no good at your job. Eh. <laughs> Unless you don't want to have that job anymore, right? Some of you perhaps have done that. Walked out, said no more. But if you are still under their influence to a measure, maybe it's recommended that you do something not so contentious. These ones disagreed with Joseph of Arimathea. 
Uh, It goes on to say, after this, in John chapter 19, John's account of it. John 19, 38, after this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. He kept it to himself. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission so that he came and took the body of Jesus. He had kept it secret because he was afraid of the Jews. And we see what he did with Jesus. We see what they went on to do with Paul and Peter and and James. James was killed for his own, well, his own position in the Lord. Different, man, it's dangerous, man. Being a believer is not for the faint of heart. We understand this. He came and took courage, it says, and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He was doing something very public, you understand. It doesn't say as much, but he went to the magistrate. He went to that one who was overseeing everybody. And people talk, you understand. You, man, something happens in this building and it ends up in Paraguay. Something happens in Paraguay, it ends up in Argentina, it ends up in Denver, it comes back to me. People talk. We have the internet, certainly. We have cell phones. But people had mouths and big ones back then. Joseph of Arimathea, a member of this council, goes to Pilate and said, I want his body. I want it. And furthermore, I'm going to take it away and I'm going to wrap it. And I'm going to put it in my tomb, this new one where no one else is buried. What's going on? What's going on over at Arimathea's tomb? What's going on over here? (gasps) He, He put Jesus in there. He put the body of Jesus in there. Was it courageous for him to go and take a dead body from Pilate? I say absolutely it was. Was it worth it? This lifeless thing, this shell, no longer in his body providing comfort to Joseph, no longer providing teaching to Joseph, no longer providing strength or miracles in that body. I've seen dead bodies, perhaps you have as well. They're pretty much good for nothing other than making you feel entirely awkward, uncomfortable, and that's if you don't know them. If it's someone who's dear to you, particularly if they are in wreckage before you, it will leave an impact on you. It will leave, well, it will leave some scars to you, can it? Was it worth it to Joseph to go and take this thing that was of no value, of no protection to him? Well, I say absolutely. Absolutely it was worth it to him. What do we do? What do we do that's anything in the same vein as Joshua? And Esther, Joseph of Arimathea, I think actually it's much the same. We don't carry around, however, we don't carry a dead body of Jesus. He's no longer longer dead, is he? No, we bear out his life in us. We bear out who he is in us. We carry a, a living redeemer with us. And he's supposed to live in us. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. No dead body, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be questioning of, nothing to feel awkward in. It is Christ who lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. Courageously in the Son of God is what Paul is saying. How come he loved me and gave himself for me? How can I not be courageous when that one went to the cross on my behalf? How can I not bear up in my paltry trials and tribulations. We were buried with him. Romans 6, 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. I don't know how embarrassing it might have been, just the natural water baptism that you might have undergone for yourself. But it's a public proclamation. But it means so much more than just going down and coming up. 
It means I have been crucified with him. And I am making this public proclamation that I'm declaring you hold me accountable for who I am in faith. It's a courageous thing if you look at it for what it is. Even so, also, this is the courageous thing. We should walk in newness of life. We should walk putting away that flesh that tells us, ah, you stink. Ah, you don't need to do this. Ah, you're not worthy of this. Ah, you're too weak for, for all of this garbage. Uh, this stuff is it's false and it's wrong. Man, it can tell you a lot of different things. Your flesh and your mind can tell you a lot of different things from a lot of different perspectives in a lot of different ways. It doesn't matter what direction it comes from. It's all garbage. This flesh doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. Aren't you glad you have the new man? Aren't you glad it's not a dead body that you're carrying around? Aren't you glad it's the living Redeemer who is present in your life? The Spirit of that one who died for us is with us and gives us the courage that we need. We invite the enemy to come after us when we say, I'm with him, period. I am a child of God. We invite the enemy to come. I can give you all kinds of scripture in in regards to the battles that you're going to undertake because of that enemy. We understand this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11. You can read all about the natural tribulations that Paul underwent when he said, I was beaten, shipwrecked, night and day I spent in the deep, so on and so forth. But he finishes up that whole list of all those horrible things in verse 28 where he says, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, (laughs) daily, man, In and out. I've never been shipwrecked. I've never endured anything. But man, sometimes daily, the things come upon me. Certainly my deep concern for all the churches and those children of God. But daily, daily, you have just the oppression that comes upon you of having to deal with this garbage that is our flesh and the old man. It takes courage, child of God. You understand this. You understand this. So claim Christ daily. Claim Him daily. I want Him. I don't need the body. The body's not there anymore. The Spirit is within me. We have an enemy daily. We have snares wrapped around our legs daily, so to speak. We have a flesh nature pushing back on us daily. And it is a valid concern. But we can be courageous in the Lord. It takes courage to be crucified with Christ. takes courage to be crucified to the world, to, to be dead to the world in this flesh. It takes courage to be buried with Him. It takes courage to move forward with Him and submit to Him the things that He calls us to. It takes courage to refuse our flesh and the desires that it has for our comforts and our ambitions and so on and so forth. It takes courage to claim Him every single day. It takes courage to wake up and do that. But saints, it's worth it. It's worth it. If it was worth it to Joseph to take a corpse off of Well, a corpse off of a stick, off of a cross, and put it into the ground. It was worth it for him to say, I'm owning this moment. I'm owning this action. I'm owning him as my Lord. If it was worth it to him, how can it not be worth it to us to know that we serve a risen Savior? A risen Redeemer, one who is alive. There's no way Joseph regretted that decision, particularly when when on the third day, that hole opened up. And that new tomb, well, it was emptied, we understand. Particularly when he perhaps might have claimed him out of guilt. He might have claimed him out of obligation. Might have claimed him out of simply feeling, oh, I hid myself for so long, I'll take him now. His 11 
Jesus' 11 were tucked away in fear, we understand, when other people were claiming. Those women had gone and seen where He was laid. Those women came on that morning to anoint Him and attend to the body. And I guarantee you they did not regret making that public, that ownership of Him. Saints, we join Him in new life now. He's no longer a dead body. He does serve us. Not serve us, but minister to us. He encourages us. We join Him because we are dead to this world. He isn't dead. We take up our crosses. We don't take up a body. We take up that cross with Him. Alongside Him. We claim Him because He claims us. Our name is written in His book of life. Our name is engraved on His palms. That should give us courage, child of God. Like Joshua and like Esther and like Joseph. We need to have the courage to express our faith to whomever might hear. That might just be to the one that you live with. Have the courage to leave behind any secrecy, any shame, any hindrance to bear out and be transparent who we are by faith. Because we serve a living, breathing, loving Savior, and He's worthy of being claiming and showing He's alive. He's alive in me daily. Let's bow our heads together, saints. Heavenly Father, we're grateful, Lord, for the word that you encourage us with and that you exhort us by, Father. And I thank you, Lord, for those things that you've called us to, that when we do those things by faith, Lord, they are eternally beneficial to us, eternally blessing to us. Father, I thank you for the courage and the strength that you give us to do these things. Father, we're not left to our own devices. We're not left in our own weakness of this flesh. Father, you've given a new creation to all who will simply accept Jesus. And in doing so, Father, we're strengthened, Lord, to follow Jesus. Help us to do so, Lord. Help us to be grateful for the living Savior that is part of us, who is our purpose, Lord. Help us to live for him and have the courage to do so and to take joy in it, Father. Bless your people this morning with courage, with joy, and with peace in following you. We give you the glory, Father, and thank you for this privilege. In the name of Jesus, I ask all these things. Amen.